What's going on, everybody? This is Ryan Henry, and welcome to 180, where we get to share amazing stories of Christian transformation from around the world. These stories will literally blow your mind. Follow us on your favorite podcast player, or you can visit us at 180podcast.com. That's O-N-E-80podcast.com. Friends, we're here today for a bonus show with Chris Baker and his ministry called Inc. 180. If you haven't heard his Coming to Jesus story yet, make sure to listen to it on episode 29. It's really powerful. Inc. 180 is also awesome. So we're here to hear about that. So Chris, hi. Hey, how are you? Good, thanks. So excited to get to share with our listeners about Inc. 180. It's just such a cool ministry, and it does have 180 in the name, so that's it's right. extra special to us. All the best things have 180 <laughs> in their name. Yes, they do, <laughs> because that's what happens when we turn to Jesus. So uh, just want to start right in. How did you start Inc. 180? Well, I've been, uh, I've been a professional tattoo artist for 29 years. Grew up in South Central Los Angeles, uh, surrounded by all my, honestly, all my friends were gang members. Um, I wasn't, but I grew up around that kind of environment and lost 17 of my friends growing up to gang violence. And wow. uh, I moved my That's family terrible. here. My wife and I moved our family here. We have three kids. Um, we moved here about 16 years ago. And at the time, I mean, I believed in God, but I wasn't, I wasn't um, living that out at, by any means. Um, I was a much different person. I was very self-absorbed and self-consumed. And, but I saw something that really bothered me after we moved here, I'd, you know, watch the news every night and kind of in between the weather for the next day and the Cubs score, they would talk about how many kids got killed in Inglewood on the South side of Chicago that day. And it just, it, you know, it really bothered me because I thought we had left all that madness behind when we left LA. And what I found is, you know, modern day Chicago is in my opinion, worse than LA ever was when I was growing up there. And I used to be one of those wow, people. That says a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I grew up there during the riots and everything. Um, but, you know, I used to be one of those people that would watch stuff like that and say, you know, somebody's got to do something about this. This is ridiculous. And um, my life started to transition, you know, a number of years ago when I, I encountered Christ in a counselor's office and just this radical transformation in my life started with with Jesus. And he reminded me pretty quickly that yes, somebody does need to do something to, to try and stop this or to change it. And guess what? You're somebody. So get to work. And I really started praying about it. And, you know, I'd gone on mission trips right away and and, done local serving opportunities and loved all of it. Um, I was looking for any way I could be of, of help to somebody that needed it more than me. And just through praying, um, Jesus told me, go do what you love to do more than anything and do it for free to help people who are trying to change. And I was like, well, I love tattooing more than anything, but there's no way that's doing God's work. Cause there were, there were plenty of Christians that were telling me I was doing something horrible by doing tattoos. And that's a whole different topic for a whole different show. But I started to question it and over time and continued prayer, he just told me like, look, I'm, I'm God and you're not and stop questioning me and get to work. So we started Inc. 180 um, mm. almost almost 11 years ago in 2011. And it was funny. When I took the idea to my wife, I said, I think this is what God wants me to be doing. And 
She said, okay. She said, you know, how, how many do you think we'll have and how are we going to pay for it? I said, I oh, will probably do like two or three a month. And, uh, you know, it's not, not that big of a, a demand. So the expense won't be very high. Well, like a lot of things in life, um, Jesus takes a look at our plan, laughs at it, crumples it up, throws it in a trash can and says, hang on, it's going to be bumpy. <laughs> and, uh, doesn't he do that? <laughs> yeah. In, in the most beautiful way. I mean, you know, here I, I'm sitting here in the shop almost 11 years ago, we started this and, and we've helped almost 9,000 people free of charge. So, 9,000 people yeah. free. Yeah, free of charge. It's, wow. Um, my accountant is funny. So every year we have to put reports in for the grants that we, um, you know, that we try to get and handle the funding and stuff. So we put all that reporting together. And um, every year at tax time, he reminds me how much money we could have made had we charged for that work. And right now it's up to <laughs> $1.65 million. Wow. It, it's not about that to me. It's to me, it's, um, you know, I know what my transformation so far has meant to my life and my family. And um, I love to see that take place in other people. That's a gift. You know, a lot of people are like, mm -hmm. I can't see what our other tattoo artists, especially like, you're crazy for doing that for free, man. You're, you know, you're taking money away from us and, you know, you, you shouldn't be doing that for free and people get upset. I'm like, take it up with Jesus because this is what he has me doing. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's a great answer to yeah. them. So what is it that you do, though? Like what, you know, if people don't know what you do, you help people that have been in gangs, but like, yeah. what do you do with Inc. 180? So at our core, we we provide free tattoo removals and free tattoo cover-ups. Um, and when we started, it was solely focused on people leaving gang life, um, whether they had, you know, a crown over their eyebrow or a teardrop under their eye or you know, lettering on their hands, whatever it was, uh, it was solely focused on, on gangs, you know, people coming out of gangs, people coming out of the prison system, um, that joined gangs while they were in, in prison or jail to, you know, try to stay safe, so to speak. Um, but then it's expanded in, in amazing and beautiful ways too. So at this moment, uh, the main groups that we help, um, typically are former gang members, uh, survivors of human trafficking who are branded by their traffickers or pimps, um, domestic violence survivors who have tattoos or a scar, perhaps from an injury from that relationship. Um, we help self-harm survivors or, or people who dealt with cutting. We cover up those scars with beautiful tattoos to show them that they don't have to be reminded 24-7 of their past. And mm -hmm. um, most recently, about a year ago, we started providing free tattoo removals for young people entering military service because they change their regulations on tattoos quite often. Um, and somebody might have a just a completely innocuous tattoo. They might have a you know the word mom on their wrist or something, and that's outside of military regulations. So we'll remove those for them free of charge so they can go and serve wow. the country. That's amazing. Yeah. That's a, a lot of different people that you serve that you probably had no idea needed your help. So many different people, even equipping people to serve that, you know, in the armed forces. That's just amazing. Yeah. I tell people all the time, you know, when we started this, like I said, we were solely focused on gangs and, but we never put, we never put it in a box because Jesus doesn't put us in a box, you know, mm -hmm. and 
basically our bottom line is if, if somebody has a tattoo or a scar that's really, you know, preventing them from living the life that Jesus has for them, then we're going to get rid of it or cover it up for them uh, for free to help them achieve that. So how do you, uh, this money comes from somewhere? How do are you able to do this? So mostly it comes from just people that follow our work, believe in second chances and, and want to support. Um, people can donate through our website, Inc180.com. Um, I speak in churches. Uh, and, you know, the, the funny thing is I have spoken in n- many, many churches, and I love doing that. Um, and I think that the churches really respond well to it. Um, but it's funny when, when churches reach out to have me come in and speak, they ask me, you know, what, what is your fee to speak? And I said, well, I don't charge a fee. I said, I have a problem telling you that I want you to pay me money for what Jesus has done in my life. And Mm -hmm. uh, I said, however, you know, if you want to make a donation to the ministry to help us buy the supplies that we need to continue to work, then that's cool. Um, so that's typically what we do. Wow. So who was your first client? My very first client ever. So when we started it, I was like, all right, how are we going to reach the people? So we, of course we went to social media and we put it out. And um, I had met a guy who was a, a probation officer. And I gave him a call and I said, hey, here's what we're doing. If you have any anybody that could benefit from this service, let me know. The very first cover-up I did was for a guy who was a former Latin king. I asked him his name. He said his name, they called him Junior, which I always find very sad and interesting all at the same time. The number of former gang members that I've worked with whose nickname is Junior. And when I ask him where Senior is, they're like, oh, he's you know in prison or he's dead or I, never, I don't know who he is. Like that's a big problem in this country, right? Um, oh, because Junior is their de facto father. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he uh, he reached out to me and former Latin King, and he had been attacked by his own gang uh, when he got out of prison. And um, crazy story, but he got out of prison for crimes that he he pled guilty to and um, did his time and. While he was locked up, he found Christ. He got baptized in in prison, um, got his GED. He was trying to go a different direction when he came out. And he did not try to hide that from his former friends. Uh, And they they ambushed him at his house. And he was sitting out on the front porch smoking a cigarette. Eight members of the gang shot at him. One of them was had had an AK-47, so he got shot eight times. The last bullet that hit him hit him right under the eye. He had a huge scar under his eye, and that that should have killed him. Obviously, um, there was a pretty close range too. He said their their range was between twenty five and fifty feet. Um, but the, and they wanted to kill him just because he became a Christian because he left the gang. Oh, he did leave the gang yeah, too. Okay. Yeah, he had made the declaration he was done with the gang life. So. Mm-hmm. Um, but that bullet hit his cheekbone, went under the skin and tracked up over his ear and, and out and never wow. broke through his skull. And, and he, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm working on him. I'm kind of looking down he's talking to me and, and I stopped and I looked up and I said, brother, if you didn't know Jesus was real at that moment, I bet you do now. And he's like, Oh no, I, mm. I knew it before. And I really know it now, but he, um, he lives in a different state now. Um, he started a business and he hires other um, 
ex-convicts and former gang members to just give them a start, you know, and help them get their feet under them and, and start fresh. So it's so cool. That's one of the the big rewarding things, you know, is I don't just get to hear their story or what they've been through, but what they want to do, what their, their dreams are, what they're praying for. And we join them in that. And then I get to hear, you know, these are friendships that form and we hear from them regularly and they give us updates, but yeah, junior was the first and it was a, it was a, an eye opener for sure. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, immune to hearing stories of violence like that. It didn't shock me, but the goodness of, of God in that story was what got me and, you know, how, yes, he was shot eight times, but here he is sitting in front of me, a changed man who's giving a hundred percent of that credit where it deserves to God who saved him. And, uh, he's gone on to do incredible things and, and will continue to do more incredible things. That's great that you were obedient and, um, God met you right where you're at, and you just wanted to give him what you were already gifted in, and he's multiplied that with the people you serve, but then they, they're they multiplying that themselves and yeah. continuing on and blessing other people through their own transformation. Absolutely. So that's really neat. You know, people people can look at things two different, well, many different ways, but in this instance, two ways, really. I could do that work and make money from it. That's great. But at the end of the day, what does that really do for me? Or I could do it for free to help bless somebody using a gift that God blessed me with that wasn't just meant for my enjoyment. And I can be blessed for years to come to hear updates of who they're blessing and how this creates a ripple effect of grace and change and opportunity for people that might not otherwise get it. All just because we helped somebody remove or cover a tattoo or we sat in presence with them listened to their story and came alongside that in prayer and support. And um, I, I don't care about money here. Um, I tell people all the time, if I have, if I have enough money to pay the bills at the end of the month and take my kids and my wife to a movie once in a while, that's really all I want to do. Um, I just, I, I'll, I, I do all this. So I, I hear those great words when I get called home is well done, good and faithful servant. That's all I really care about. Amazing. So I'm sure you, you do get to meet people at a pivotal point in their faith journey. So like, yeah. how do you work through that with them? It's interesting. You know, I, um, I've had people come in here for help who were of different faiths, who were atheists, who were agnostics, um, who were lifelong Christians, who were Christians that have been hurt by churches for one reason or another. So just a very different uh, spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. But really, I think one of the biggest um, key attributes that that I've been blessed with in this new life that I certainly, if if my wife was here, she would laugh hearing me say this because we, we joke about it all the time. I was about the most impatient person you'd ever meet before Jesus. And if you told me about a problem, I was going to give you five different solutions in about two minutes because that's just how I was wired. You have a problem, let's fix it. Well, what I've learned through Jesus is it's not always my job to fix it. In fact, it's rarely my job to fix it. It's my job to sit, to hear that story, to um, actively listen. And sure, sometimes there's things that we can offer up that will help them get to a solution. But 
it's not my job to fix their problems. It's to talk them to uh, a, a way of, of seeing how that gets solved with neither of us really. Um, because there's a plan. God has a plan um, all the time in, in all things. Right. Um, so it's, it's been really a, a beautiful thing. In fact, I tell people, I joke all the time. One of the gifts that I've been blessed with in this new life is this little internal stop sign where somebody says something. I used to be a very, very reactionary person and, and not always in a very healthy way. Um, somebody would come at me. I would come back twice as loud and twice as fast. And now it's, it's that slow to speak quicker to listen. Right. Um, so it's it's just been a, a really important thing for me to learn and to continue to evolve is to really focus more on just being present for people and hearing them where they're at. Um, but yeah, it's it's one of the things I love in this new life. But they've probably had they've where they've been at when they come to you is probably at a um, point where they have questions and they're questioning faith. And you, I'm imagining that you do get to answer those questions and talk with them and help them process what they're going through. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I always, if people want to know, I will, I will definitely answer those questions for them. And if I don't have the answer, I'll call one of my, my men's group friends that does have the answer. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. People will ask me, and one of my things, I'm always very cautious with, um, and I don't want this to sound the wrong way. I love sharing Jesus. It, and a lot of my clients will ask because they know what I'm about. They know the story. Um, so they will ask me uh, most of the time. But my thing is with, with my faith, you know, I've had people come in here and, and tell me, you know, I almost didn't come to you. I was like, well, why is that? So, well, I know you're, you know, you're a Christian and this is a ministry and I just didn't want to get beat over the head for my sin. And I'm like, wow. I said, did I do that? And they're like, no, no, not at all. Not at all. And I said, okay, well, that's just not how we, we do things because I don't feel like that's what Jesus would do. You know, it's mm-hmm. treat people with love and respect and, and honor their story. And that's to me sharing Jesus as well. Cool. Hitting. So how, so you, so initially you talked to the one parole officer. I can imagine there's maybe some more people that know about you. How do you get your clients? Yeah, the way uh, we, so like, yeah, when we started, we, we reached out to a couple parole officers and then it was, and it took off like wildfire. Um, first of all, the media heard about it. And you know how uh, when the news media hears about something that's a positive thing, they don't do enough of that kind of reporting, but they do some of it. And um, they heard about, cover-ups we were doing and WGN news called and said, Hey, can we come down and, and do a piece on you for the news? And, um, we wanted, we would love to get, you know, some video of you doing a cover-up. I said, sure. That's fine. We, we actually did it in our church, which was cool because the news media mainstream media is tough, um, to get them to acknowledge any kind of faith based stuff. Um, that's why I, I prefer to do live interviews with, regular news stations because they can't edit out me saying ministry or Jesus or any of that. Um, (laughs) But yeah, they came down and all the other news media outlets called and wanted to do interviews about it. Um, I did an update at church and this was probably the biggest game changer 
Uh, it's totally a God thing. So I love to tell the story, but I was given an update on the ministry at church one morning, about five or six months after we started doing it. And a friend of mine is an agent with Homeland Security. He was a narcotics agent at the time. And he, he got all excited after I gave this update. And he said, you know, Chris, you should, you should talk to our gang unit. They'd love to work with you. And I got really excited because it was federal authorities. You know, at that point, I was just starting to work with, you know, state and local authorities, which I love doing too. But it's like, man, it's an opportunity to work with federal agents. That's kind of cool. And, you know, especially as a kid who grew up in South Central LA and, you know, cops would always ask me about what went on in the neighborhood. And I would be afraid to say anything because I didn't want to be the next one taken out. So this was just a different kind of opportunity to work with these people. And um, I had him set up the meeting. I was driving up to Chicago for the meeting. It was about 10, 10 days later. And he called me and he said, hey, do you mind if our sex trafficking unit sits in on this discussion? They want to hear what you're doing, too. And I was like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I had no idea what sex trafficking was. And um, they sat in on it. We partnered right away on the gang stuff. That was probably the fastest meeting I've ever had in my life. It was about 10 minutes and we agreed. Uh, because, you know, they loved it. It was a free program that helped people that they were trying to help. And uh, then I spent about two and a half hours with their trafficking unit hearing about that. And then from there, things just went crazy. They called the FBI, told them. The FBI called the U.S. Attorney's Office. Um, the U.S. Attorney's Office called um, all the the prosecutors and, and DAs. And it just went wow. crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, it's, you know, so much of it is just word of mouth. Um, we, you know, the phone, phone rings all day. Like we're, we're kind of joking before the notifications on my phone. It just, it blows up all day long. And I love that. It's, it's, it just tells me that, Hey, you know, today I get to help somebody today. And, uh, like I've, you know, my wife and I have, have taught our kids. It's like, guys, it's pretty easy to go to bed at night knowing that you help somebody that couldn't ever repay you. And it's, it's a really beautiful thing just to be able to do that and to, to help people. I love it. Yeah. It's just amazing the amount of people you're helping too. Um, is there a, a most interesting story that you could share with us without naming names or details, but is there a story? I know we shared your first client, but I just love to hear if there was somebody else that really stands out. Yeah, there's a couple. So um, there's a couple that I would love to. uh, One was uh, a number of years ago and one was just a couple of weeks ago. So the first one was um, about six years ago. It's a human trafficking survivor. Um, We'll we'll call her Jennifer uh, for this. But um, she was from a different state nearby. Um, She was trafficked for five years. And was recovered by federal agents in a, a sting operation. Went through a safe house program. She had numerous tattoos um, forced on her by her trafficker. And we were covering those up. And forced that, that, on her. Wow. Yeah, that's what they do. They'll, they'll mark them as property. Um, so we see things like barcode tattoos wow. or pimps names. Mm. Um, I, I just got a, a contact yesterday, a trafficking survivor here locally that has her pimp's name tattooed on her cheek. Um, against her will. And, hmm. you know, a lot of times what they'll do is they'll drug them and have one of their friends do these tattoos on them. And then they wake up and they're marked with all this stuff. So, oh, um, that's horrible. 
so I spent about a year working with her to cover all these tattoos that she had forced on her. And uh, she was doing really well in her safe house program and her recovery. She was, um, she was also forced to use heroin when she was being trafficked. It's just another way that the pimps keep oh them gosh. under control. Um, but she had just celebrated wow. her two years clean and she's still clean. I still talk to her all the time. But one of the things I, I love to ask them is, you know, what, if you could do anything from this point on, what do you want to do? And what I hear a lot is that they want to work to educate. They want to prevent others from being lured into that life. And um, Jennifer said, I have a, a plan. And I asked her to tell me it. She said, well, you know, when people get a, a DUI, I said, yeah, she said, they have to take a, a series of classes to educate them about alcohol and drinking and driving and all those kinds of things. I said, yeah. She says, well, I, I think that that should happen for those who are arrested and prosecuted for solicitation. I just said, well, tell me about that. Mm. So I just kept her talking. I'm like, tell me about that. What does that look like to you? What are you, what are you thinking? And she said, I think it should be an eight-week class. I already have four of the classes outlined, like what it should cover. Oh, that's cool. And so she she wrote this all up. And uh, she took it to a legislature in her state where she was living. And it's, and it's a regional, uh, regionally close to us here in Illinois. And she presented it, and they loved it. They said, this is fantastic. Well, the other thing the, that was a part of it is that these people who are convicted of solicitation, they would have to register as a sex offender. When you do that, you have to pay money to register. And it's a requirement. You have to do it. Um, and that money that she proposed, that that money would be put to get put to use to educate kids in the schools and different things like social media safety and all these things that we do. Um, and so anyway, this all goes on and, and I'm getting updates from her periodically. And I was getting ready to go and do a couple of cover-ups in her state. Um, so I reached out to her and I said, Hey, you know, I'm going to be that I'm going to be close by. Um, if, if anyone at that safe house needs help, I'll be in the area. I can, I can help them on there. And she said, Oh my gosh. Um, that's crazy that you're going to be there that week. Um, the first class and the first launch of John school is taking place. If you want, you can go and listen mm -hmm. to it. I was like, that's amazing. Cool. I definitely, I definitely want to do that. So I go in <laughs> and it's in this college auditorium and I'm walking down the steps and I'm, there's some, you know, they, they're already starting and, and uh, I hear a, a woman speaking and she's starting a class and I look down and it's her, she's teaching the class. So not only did mm. she survive this horrific life, just absolutely horrific life that would, um, I, I often say, you know, if that was me, I, I try to think how I would react to it. First of all, I can never imagine, but I, I would think that if, I did survive something like that. I would just want to live in a cabin in the woods for the rest of my life and cut myself off from society. But she said, no. Um, so she wrote this class. She, she worked with the legislatures to get it passed. It passed unanimously in her state. Um, all, every part wow. of it. And not only that, but now she's teaching it and she's face to face with predominantly men who were just like those who did what they did to her. Um, for all that time. And she's one of the strongest people I've ever met in my life. And um, it's just, it's super powerful to, to see 
Yeah, like she's talking. Does. She's yeah. talking to people that um, were on the other side of mm-hmm. what she was a victim of. So that's Absolutely. very and she for and her she's not doing it. Do that. Yeah, she doesn't do it in a condemning way or an attacking way. It's um, she. Everything she does is with this this ocean of grace that you know, it's just unbelievable. You know, if somebody, I can't even imagine how I would react to somebody who had perpetrated such a heinous crime to me. Um, but it's just, it's super powerful to see. Uh, so that was, that's probably one of my strongest ones. I had another one, um, another uh, opportunity. Um, I got a phone call recently from a, a survivor. She was 18 years old. Um, she had just graduated a safe house program. Um, that is one of the only in the area in the region for juvenile survivors. Um, she just turned 18 and she called me and she said, Chris, I didn't have any branding tattoos or any scars or anything, but I wanted to see if you could, um, if you could help me out with something. I said, sure. What's that? She said, I want to get a tattoo. And I said, okay. Uh, she said, I just graduated my safe house program and I want to celebrate it. And I said, oh, that's awesome. It sounds great. It was totally different. I've never done one like that. Right. So we set it up, set up an appointment, and she told me what she wanted, and it was just um, Roman numerals. Very simple. I mean, we're talking about like a 20-minute tattoo. So we set it up. Um, her victim advocate brought her and uh, sat down, and she just turned 18. And we're having this great talk. She's super excited about it. Uh, she's telling me about her, her future, you know, starting college and everything else that's going on, all this great stuff. And I did this tattoo for her. And we have a, a tree here. It's called the Freedom Tree. So when we finish covering or removing tattoos for trafficking survivors, they put their handprint up there. And it's just a a beautiful way for them to signify that that old part of their life is over. And it's a great reminder to us of why we do what we do. And it's also my favorite part in the shop to sit and pray at. Um, mm. and, and, and folks, we're going to have a picture of that Freedom Tree we will post that with the show and on our social media outlets. So you'll get to see that. Yeah. So she put her, she put her handprint on the freedom tree and uh, she left. And every time I do any kind of work for a trafficking store, I won't book anything else the rest of that day. It's very emotional. It's very um, draining. And honestly, I'll just sit here and pray uh, for the rest of the day. And, um, but something struck me really, really hard the minute that the door shut when they left um, and broke me down pretty hard. The whole time I was doing her tattoo, we were having a great conversation. And the whole time she was clutching onto a teddy bear, like a, like a kid would, little kid. And it just broke my heart to mm-hmm. think about that. Like this girl had her childhood stripped away from her and um, she's being restored. Um, she got baptized and she's strong. She's super strong. Um, but it, it's heartbreaking to, to sit and listen to this stuff. It, it infuriates me. (laughs) And I thank God that I have Jesus in my life every single day, because if I didn't, it's like, you know, you see these vigilante movies and you, you see it and you're like, yeah, I could see why some people go that route. But I think, I thank God Mm -hmm. for that. I have this different peace and in my life now um, that just makes me want to work harder to a keep people out of this chair for that kind of work 
and it makes me want to educate people and, and do whatever we can to fight it. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it would be really emotionally hard work. Yeah. I mean, every time I do, I do this kind of stuff with, with trafficking, trafficking and domestic violence type stuff, especially I'm in with my counselor, like the next day, if not the same day, because it's, um, it's, it definitely is a huge burden, but it's a burden that I, I love to carry because, um, it helps me educate other people. And I, I tell people that all the time, you know, if I go to, to a church or to a school to speak or whatever, people will often introduce me incorrectly. And they're like, Chris is a subject matter expert in, in sex trafficking. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm not a subject matter expert in anything. Um, I'm a guy who's incredibly blessed to have met um, some really strong survivors who have shared their story with me so I can educate other people. Um, and I learn stuff every single day, every day. Something I, I, I never want to say, oh, I've, I've heard it all because I haven't. And um, every time I would think that I've heard it all, it just gets more insidious. So but uh, mm. I, I'm very thankful for the survivors yeah. and, and their strength and their willingness to share their experience with us because it does help us educate others. Amazing. So you started out thinking you do two a month. How many do you, how many tattoo removals or um, cover-ups do you do a month? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, average, we, on average, we do between six and nine a day. Today I have seven. Um, wow. Yeah. It's, you know, and then I'll, sometimes I'll get six and nine a day. Yeah. Sometimes I'll get one person that comes in and they have like five or six that are small and we can just take care of them all at one time. So, yeah, it's um, it's crazy. I <laughs> I never would have thought it, you know. And I'll tell you, you know, you know, getting back to like how we we fund this, it's it's tough. You know, the pandemic, like so many ministries that we're partnered with, we we've had this conversation. Like, man, we're so thankful for Jesus because we otherwise we wouldn't have made it through this thing. Because you know, before the pandemic, we had about thirty churches that would help support us monthly, and when the pandemic hit, it went down to about two. And one of those was my church. Oh, wow. Um, and I think now, you know, even coming well out of this, this stuff, we're only back up to like six. Um, and then in addition to that, a lot of the people that were, you know, just regular folks that were doing like a monthly donation, we, we lost a lot of that assistance too, because those folks lost their jobs. So, I mean, it makes sense. It's, you know, it, we, we understand um, and we've gotten through it. I mean, I, I had to sell, I sold a car to keep the ministry going during the pandemic. And uh, one of the things I think that is um, misunderstood, I think people think, oh, he works with, you know, law enforcement and government and the federal law enforcement. Surely they must give them money. They don't. Um, those partnerships are just strictly to, to get contacts made with people and, and help and, and help educate people. They're not in a position where they can fund anything. Um, but, uh, you know, God is always good and God blesses what God loves. So, you know, here we are almost 11 years later, still, still going in the right direction and we do what we got to do. I need to do what I've been called to do. God is always faithful and, and I love what we get to do every single day. Yeah. After that's mm -hmm. a beautiful, mm -hmm. like, it transcends, you know, and it, it reaches people where they're at. 
you know, you got a lot of people in, in the tattoo world. You know, I, I still go to tattoo conventions to, to try and connect with other artists to expand this network to help more people across the country and beyond. But there's a lot of people in some pretty dark places that I've had great, great, powerful talks with, you know, people coming out of very dark places like where they were into witchcraft and, and even some satanic stuff. Certainly a ton of people who said that they were atheists and, um, yeah, I just, I just try to meet people where they're at and, and meet them with, with love and, and have a conversation that's not confrontational and share Jesus with them the way that I think Jesus would have us do. And uh, it's, it's been really powerful to see that work because I've seen, I've seen him do amazing things in people that most of society wants to pretend don't exist. Wow. Powerful. So, folks, if you want to see, we will link a really cool video about Ink 180 in the show notes so you can see that as well. And thank you for giving us a glimpse into what um, Ink 180 is and what the motivation behind it is and how it's really um, helping transform people's lives. So thank you so much for your time today, Chris. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Take care. You too. 180 is a production of One Way Ministries.